time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. Tracy Silverman, your host of the For the Greater Groove podcast, subtitled The Future of Strings. And uh, the reason it's subtitled The Future of Strings is exactly because of people like my guest today. The great Ginny Luke is here to share with us. Yay! And uh, because this podcast is about progressive string playing. And people on the edge, people doing the new cutting edge stuff in the string playing world. Uh, and that's what we focus on here. And if you're not uh, familiar with Ginny, I'll fill you in a little bit on her background. Originally hails from Dubuque, Iowa. Mm -hmm. Went to Interlochen as an yeah. acting student. Is that right? Yeah. Did I get that right? Mm hmm. Wow. Wow. And that was for high school, I'm guessing. Yeah, the academy. Correct. I did double major yeah. in acting and violin. Okay. So I still did orchestra okay. and chamber and everything. It was just a full schedule. Got it. Got it. And then you went on to the Colburn School of Music for undergrad stuff, correct? I actually did the pre-college prep program for Colburn. Oh, I see. That was when you were living in L.A. Yeah, two years. One year when I was homeschooled freshman year when I was 15, and then one year when I was 17 after Interlochen. Graduated oh, okay. high school, started college at MI, but in that one year at 17, went to Colbert again. Okay, and MI is the Musicians Institute. Yeah. And uh, you also went to the California Institute of the Arts, I understand. Yeah, correct? and that was for my undergrad, for real. Okay. <laughs> you know, I learned real-world stuff at MI and then great classical yeah. stuff in the prep program at Colburn. So it was a hodgepodge of Very cool. Education. Very cool. And a, a varied background, as that might suggest. You have done a lot of acting. You've got a lot of acting credits. You've been in TV shows, um, sitcoms, film. You've got some film credits. Yeah. Uh, you've been in a whole bunch of music videos. Yeah. And musical what a, what theater a, as a child. Yeah, right, right. Um, so you were always um, really focusing on your voice as well as your playing, correct? Yeah, since the age of four, um, I started violin at three, and then at four I was doing The Sound wow. of Music. I played Gretel and Sound of Music, and Annie when I was five. I was Molly and Annie. So every year I was doing a musical, but the violin was still always the main activity and the main thing I had to achieve per my parents request. Got it. Right. <laughs> In order to get the allowance money, you actually had to practice your violin. I get it. You've also toured like your, I guess your first big break, would you say, was the meatloaf tour? Totally. I was in a girl group before that, which is why I moved to LA when I was 15 to start. We did our first album uh -huh. and we did high school and college tours and then pride festivals. And we toured well because we had a lot of backing. We had two buses and even a jet wow. that we would fly around in. Oh, my God. So that kind of prepped me a little bit. But Meatloaf really was the legit arena worldwide tour that was a breakthrough in my career. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And you've also toured with Questlove and... Dr. Dre on that uh, tour? What tour Dr. Was Dre was it's an just... orchestral version of Dr. Dre's music, and I sang and was concertmaster and a feature violin on, on that one. So Dr. Dre wasn't on that tour, but 
That okay. is a big worldwide symphonic Dr. Dre or orchestral Dr. Dre tour, and it's going to come back around this year. So I'll be excited to oh, see cool. that in the West Coast, or maybe I'll be in it. We'll see. Oh, cool. Very nice. Very nice. You have a, uh, the Saga String Quartet. Is Saga still around? You it guys still playing? We're just contracting gigs for this coming week with LED violins at Anaheim Convention Center. Yeah. Excellent. An all-female string quartet mm-hmm. uh, based in the L.A. area. Uh, and you teach at Thornton at USC, the Thornton School of Music. Yeah. At USC, uh, you are in the popular music program. I believe you're the only string teacher yes. in that program, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's a heavy, it's a great job, great position. It's usually one day a week, and I wrote the curriculum for Pop Strings. I was just there yesterday talking to the faculty, and I teach private lessons, and the private lessons are usually also about pop string playing, multiple styles, electric string playing tips, and then incorporating your vocals Mm -hmm. or auxiliary instruments like keys and stage presence. Yeah, so important in the string world for these kinds of programs to be really catching on, taking root, and hopefully flourishing and propagating among other schools. Because this is really, there are so many young string players who want to go in this direction, in a non-traditional, or at least to do some work in a non-traditional direction, you know, uh, not necessarily abandoning their classical career. But uh, but there are not a lot of places where you can get this, especially at big, great schools like USC. But I guess primarily I think of you as a solo artist, as somebody who has defined her own place, her own career as a performer, singer, progressive string player, uh, songwriter, um, keyboard player, somebody who's produced, and I believe you produce your own, uh, or at least a lot, co-produce mm-hmm. a lot of your stuff. Just the the full-on, all-around artist track. Uh, and, well, you got a new single. It just came out day before yesterday. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I don't know when this will air, but uh, it came out on Halloween yeah. um, of 23. And... Uh, and I believe that is part of your first full album. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, first debut album. Yeah, you've got you have put out an EP. I don't know about eight years ago or something like that, yeah. uh, and a, a bunch of singles that you've been releasing over the years. Uh, and uh, but this is going to be the first full on solo album, Ginny Luke solo album. So uh, really, uh, I had a chance to get a preview of that. And I can tell you all that it is something you are going to want to check out carefully. Thank you. Because there's so many good aspects to this record, not just the songwriting, not just the singing, which, good Lord, you are, you've got some pipes. Thank you. And, uh, but but the way you're using the violin, sometimes in a classical, more acoustic way, sometimes just full on rocked out distortion, electric. Um, So I want to talk about all of that. And I want you to tell me about the new album. Cool. Well, first, I want to say thank you for listening to it and being excited about it and supporting it. Um, I think it's a great time in my life and my career to get my artist message out and the first of many albums to come, I hope. And it makes a cool statement in that combination of acoustic violin and electric and the, f- the fierceness side, and then the finessed, beautiful, vulnerable side um, in my playing and in acoustic versus electric violin. Um, I think there's a range of emotions you can explore on both, and I think they are different sets of emotions and tone colors. And I, I would encourage every young string player to look at that as an amazing opportunity and like playground because um, a lot of people say, well, why don't you just play an acoustic? Why does an electric sound like acoustic? Because to me, it's a different instrument. It's like comparing electric yeah. guitar to acoustic guitar. So yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy playing the violin, an electric violin, like a guitar player. I think that's something that makes me feel free, makes me feel understood and 
kind of more united in the music community and the rock and pop and country and blues community. Um, mm-hmm. I also, to be honest, really don't like the scrutiny of the classical world. Um, I do love achieving and striving high level performances, striving for high level performances. But I think that the intensity and the culture is too snobby. And I think <laughs> I think for my personal artist message and my vibe, I want people to feel accepted, empowered, free, kind of in an act of rebellion from my childhood. And I kind of laughed because I never rebelled as a teenager. And I was pretty mellow in my early 20s. I was very responsible building my career. Right about 23, I was 24, I just, I wanted to explore and see what it felt like to stay up late and, you know, hang out. And I don't do anything too crazy, but I really just, I looked at some of the the rock stars and the people I had performed with, like artists that I played violin for for all those years, all these major artists. And I'm like, well, they seem so free and expressive. And as a violinist, I feel confined. And so I started pushing the boundaries of Mm. how I could express myself in my songwriting and in the way I sing. I was told back in that girl group by a producer that I would never sing pop and rock because my voice sounded too classical and had too much vibrato. So then I totally rebelled against that and was like, no, my voice is opening up. It's becoming this rich rock vocal. Now I can work with some yep. rasp and different tone colors. And I did both exploration on my voice and exploration on the violin. And I think it is a clear result on this album that it's just like rockified, loud female perspective that I don't think is heard enough yet, especially on electric violin. Um, and I hope people resonate with it. I just want to set kind of a precedent for myself and my artistry and my community, people who like my music, that they should feel empowered and they should feel free and they should explore their musicality and their ideas. And that is just fine. And I hope it's well received. So far, people have really dug the single and it makes people feel powerful and they go, whoa, that's loud. That's... You know, <laughs> a little shocking. Okay, good. To me, it should be because I don't want to be bored. I was bored a lot of my childhood with some of the music I had to play. You will never be the same. Draw you into And it's such a positive kind of um, message that you that you bring in almost every tune. Uh, and I know you talk about being fearless a, mm-hmm. a lot. Thank um, you. Well, I want to yeah. dig into what that means on stage as a performer. What what it takes to feel fearless wow. on stage. Yeah, that's a big topic. Yeah, but I also want to hear you uh, talk a, a, a little bit about. Um, what you mean by representing the female perspective? Okay. I think because I came to LA at such a young age, 15, 
from Iowa, which is a very safe, wonderful place to grow up, I realized I had to advocate for myself in LA at a young age. Um, and there were different ways I had to advocate for myself in fairness and pay and conditions like heat or air conditioning hmm. and having a yeah. place to sit down and having access to a bottle of water at a gig, uh, finding out that my male colleagues are making more money, maybe doing less of a job than I'm doing or the same job. Um, and then safety, what are the safety conditions? What do I need to put up with in sessions to move my career forward? What do I need to put up with mm. at shows backstage? I get grabbed or pushed or, you know, at certain gigs, if I'm playing in the audience, uh, men would take the violin out of my hands or try to take my bow. So I had to, you know, figure out how do I push them off, keep this gig and yep. speak up. How do I set the boundaries so I can walk into a safe space? And how do I get the support I need from my colleagues and my employer or the music director so that we have a great show and it's a good environment? So that's the main thing I'm really advocating for, especially in the music industry, because we don't have HR. We don't have a place. <laughs> yeah, musicians can go, especially gig per gig. Sometimes you're on the gig just figuring out who's in charge of this thing. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. Yep. So, and, and I really would like to approach equity and a female voice in a very positive way. Because I think sometimes it, it scares people to open up the discussion that it's, um, you know, man-hating or something that's just not true to me at all. I really am looking for safety, equal pay, equal opportunities yep. And I'm hoping that my presence and my mentorship will help change the landscape of the music industry. And I think little by little with my students and my mentees, it is slowly but surely. But that's the, that's the biggest thing I want to share, especially with young musicians. And especially as, as young people are finding their understanding of themselves. Now we have more students who are non-binary. We have trans students. We really, I think, want to be looking at equity, safety, equal pay, equal opportunity. You know, I think for me, my journey started with my experience as a woman and a young woman, and then some really formidable experiences in my 20s of lack of safety and assault on gigs and what do I do, who do I look to for answers of how to heal. And as I grew, I realized, okay, this is a really broad topic now. We're not just talking about women, of course. This is my personal discovery. We're talking about all people. All people should feel safe. All people should have equal opportunities. And that's what I will continue fighting for. And so I think, thank you for catching that the album should just have this underlying feeling of strength. Because what I needed on a specific situation that I was healing from was strength. I needed to find my identity again after an assault on a gig. And I, I had great support from Music Cares. Um, and I just needed to look to artists like Kesha, like Lady Gaga, that were speaking out about how to find their strength and their identities again after something so major. So this record also addresses that a little bit in the woman I wanted to be because there was a year long period where I felt really lost and I intentionally chose kind of a Kurt Cobain style, like Nirvana guitar tone to start that. And then as that song progressed in the second half of the song, you can hear an acoustic violin solo. That's like a very fiery, angry solo. And mm -hmm. That to me was kind of reaching into my soul of childhood and trying to grow and understand who I am and using the violin as a way to process that. And that's why that was on acoustic because I remember just the acoustic violin was something that I could channel 
frustration and anger through, and you hear it in the tone, and then it goes into uh, intense dun 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 uh, interlude afterwards with violin and cello. Sleepless night, too far gone. When I know I could be. the gravitas and the seriousness of pain in that song. The rest of the album is like really, I think, fun and uplifting and badass. Um, I think there's two other songs actually that do address some sadness. Um, the majority of the album is, is just rock, fun, strong chick shit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for the more major stuff, like the more serious serious couple of tracks on the album i did choose acoustic strings i think that goes back to kind of like a brahms beethoven bach feeling of you know some of the heaviest and most important topics like our humanity and death have always been done well by the classical composers and i think that's why i wanted to make sure that those were acoustic strings So that's just where that was, you know, in the last year of making the album. It's always like a snapshot in time when you make each song, I think. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, I wonder if you have, you know, you were talking about all of uh, of the things that are on your mind in terms of equity, equal pay, equal opportunity, safety, a mm -hmm. uh, big issue for so many young women in the music biz and, of course, in the acting world as well. What kind of advice do you have for people out there gigging? The advice I would give to young women in arts and entertainment careers is first, trust your instincts more than you think you should even trust them. Hmm. I think we've been taught to deny a lot of our intuition because we think we have to listen to an authority figure or we have to do something or endure something to make our careers move forward. Right. And I just don't believe in 2023, we do not need to be doing that anymore. I think we can honor right. the stories of the past that our mothers and our grandmothers have shared, but right. we can, we have the opportunity to set the standards in these industries now with our decisions and our behaviors and our reactions Sometimes it's hard because you're caught in situations and your reactions are slowed or you get into fight or flight. And so if young women, especially in situations where they're going to be one-on-one, -on -one, or even if they're not going to be one-on-one, -on -one, they are going to be working with 
people in a professional capacity that give them an intuition feeling of lack of ease, make a little plan. I think it's always good to have a plan and to Mm. text a friend, have a friend on a text thread. There's also really good apps you can do for safety um, that I can can send them to you, Tracy, if you want to put any in show notes. Um, There's some apps that if you are going to go to a location, you can share your location and then it has like an emergency call button. Um, But the biggest thing I think is just thinking ahead of, you know, what time do you want to try to leave? What's going to be your boundary? If someone has repeatedly been offensive, what's the, what's the breaking point that you will just professionally leave the situation? Right. Because yeah. I didn't know at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, that I could leave recording sessions that were inappropriate. I usually just stayed and endured either bad behavior or mm, people speaking about women in certain ways. I just thought it was normal and I should just be chill with it. But now I have the experience to know I don't have to do that. I can gracefully leave. Have you so, ever done that? Have you had to leave a section? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's never as big of a deal as you think it's going to be in your head. Yeah. Is there ways? Yeah, you don't even have to tell them why, like that their behavior upset you unless you want to, you right. know? Right. You can just gracefully say, I'm going to have to wrap here in five minutes. I'm, uh, we're going to have to reschedule the rest of this session. Thank you so much. We'll work out payment details after. And then they have a new respect for you because you have stuff going on or you need to leave. And then I think then you have to reevaluate if you want to work with that person again. Um, But I'm a big proponent of communication as well. If something's making you feel uncomfortable, just say, hey, I'm not comfortable with our style of speech being that way. Can we really try to focus our energies towards the goal of the session or the goal of the show? And it kind of helps people get back on track. Yeah, yeah. Wow, good for you. So let's let's get back to that fearless thing. Yeah. What because uh, I know a lot of your just from you know um, being a fan of your social media and stuff like that that that's a a topic that is kind of front and center in your world. Uh, and it's one thing to to record a song about that, to write tunes, to use that in your lyrics. But it's another thing to show up on stage with that in your, you know, in your body. And I would love to know how that plays out for you. This is such a great question and great topic. So fearlessness, how do we manifest fearlessness in our bodies, in our facial expressions, and in our playing? I think the first thing is making sure or having an awareness of your state. I love that Tony Robbins and other leaders talk about your state, your energy. Mm -hmm. So you can't do anything without energy. And this is a good reminder to musicians to sleep. (laughs) Yes. Including myself. Um, So in certain leadership styles, they talk about where are your shoulders placed where are your feet placed? At where, where are your hips? Where's your neck? Where's your head? And some of this comes from acting. Some of this comes from dance. Some of it comes from mm-hmm. the Alexander Technique, mm. which I got to study a little of at CalArts. Yeah. So if you present your body in a strong state, like feet apart, planted, shoulders up, head up, your body will naturally start responding to that body language. And if you slow the breath, this is really good for singers, but anyone who plays an instrument is really good. Slowing the breath and having a lower heartbeat makes you calmer, of course. Mm -hmm. So breathing practices before going on stage are very important. And especially in the studio, really important. Then knowing who you want to emulate, I think also helps. Is there a performer that you love that makes you feel powerful? And a Mm -hmm. lot of times I 
for pre-tour or pre-show rituals, I listen or watch my very favorite performers in the green room or my dressing room. And I imagine what they think about, how they feel before they go on stage. A lot of that ranges from Beyonce to Dorothy to Hilary Hahn, Regina hmm. Carter. Yeah. I'll really have like YouTube videos up or a tour DVD. Jennifer Lopez, I used to really use a lot. Um, and I just have that on in the background. Sometimes I mute it while I do my vocal warm ups or any violin warm ups. And I think really visualizing as the strongest, most powerful version of yourself right before you go on stage can totally change a performance. Hmm. And I think that also includes not having really serious discussions or intense or problems, if you can avoid it. I mean, sometimes we gig so much that it's just not possible because we gig like six days a week. So you can't, you right. can't not have real <laughs> life before a gig. But exactly. if you can, you know, getting into that kind of centered gravity, that rooted feeling, which I learned in acting. And then for certain movements, I learned from dance, like turning your feet out, addressing the audience, always playing out, play out to the audience, play out. And they say that in acting. Um, play to the audience, never turn your back on the audience. So right. I think as far as my stage presence and what I encourage other performers, young performers to do is connect with the audience also visually, eye to eye, look into their eyes and send your energy out. Feet are turned out, arms are out. So I think if you're Interesting. It, to me, that that's how I connect with audiences, and then I feel like I'm welcoming them, and they want to be welcomed. They came to share an exchange. So whether you're playing Shostakovich or you're doing a simple tune, we're all trying to connect our energy together. Yeah. I think that's just how I approach every performance. And then if I want to incorporate stage theatrics, like running around the stage or backbends or a mic stand pull... It's all like play to play, like back, back and forth, audience to artist, audience to artist. I'm playing with you guys. Come like we're dancing together. Yeah. And even, you know, I did like some symphony concerts a couple weeks ago, just expressing, you know, I couldn't move, obviously, if I'm in a section, but expressing the emotionality. What's the emotional sentiment we're expressing right now? phrase to phrase and in the phrase direction. So like with Grieg, right? You know, there's emotional qualities, phrase by phrase by phrase. The audience wants to know what they are supposed to be feeling. <laughs> they want to know, and they want to know how the artist interprets each phrase. Right. It's so boring to watch someone who doesn't reveal that information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think a way to mitigate stage fright is think about phrase direction and show that in your body language and it will get rid of stage fright because you'll focus your energies yeah. back into what I call a focus point. It's an emotional focus point, just like you have a focus sound on the violin with the bow. You have a focused mm -hmm. sound. You do that emotionally, your heart rate will go down and you will just get so into the character of what the phrase reveals. That's all you yeah. need to think about on stage. That's so great. Such a wonderful way of sort of talking about getting in the zone, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's that's super cool. Um, a, a just random question. Do you prefer when you can see the audience, when sort of there's some light on the audience, or when it's like spotlights in your eye and you can't see anybody? Okay, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's a different way of engaging with them, and especially how far away or how close they are to you. I prefer if they're a little far away, and if I can see them sometimes, so if there's good lighting cues, but then sometimes it goes black, like right, right after a song. 
I really prefer that because then that keeps the mystique, the mystery, and the experience heightened. And it, it kind of is more of a challenge if there's light the whole show because then you really have to plan your stage movement in between pieces. And like, if you get a drink of water, it needs to, in my opinion, should be in character of the music. Yeah, right. And if you have to turn around or you need to adjust something, I'm always very deliberate about movements. Like if I'm gonna grab the violin off the mic stand, I'm not just grabbing it. I'm gonna time it with the music, pick it up, get ready to put it under my chin because I'm probably singing and then put the bow on. So it is kind of naturally choreographed to what I'm playing. But that's more of a challenge if there's light the whole show because then your song ends and you got to like right. pick up your <laughs> other instrument. <laughs> you got to do normal things. Yeah. <laughs> stage stage management. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's uh, change the subject for just a second and I want you to tell me a little bit about Thornton and, and your program there. What you're teaching, um, what your curriculum is a little bit, um, like your repertoire, what kind of stuff do you work on specifically with the students? Is it a little more jazz, more rock, more funk, like hip hop, um, pop stuff? And I guess before you get into the specifics of Thornton, I'm curious about your classical background and and how that um, your decision to not pursue that, you know, mm -hmm. the classical um, career, the, whether that would be chamber or chamber music or orchestral or teaching or something. You clearly made a choice after having done a lot of classical work to not have a classical career as I have as well. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious what your, what your reasoning, your justification yeah. <laughs> is. Yeah, great. Um, I think my career took a natural progression coming to LA at a young age, at 15, of more commercial styles of music. And I started recording for artists like Snoop, my first session in LA was for Snoop Dogg at 17 and I had to contract nice. strings. And then my, wow. my second session was for <laughs> J. Cole. Oh my God. Yeah, it was a very blessed and lucky kind of progression of session work. Uh, and before that, the girl group also was my kind of experimentation ground of how I'm going to play the violin in pop music. Although I was in a jazz ensemble at age nine called Caboose in Iowa. And of course, huh. then I was also in youth orchestras. I had my little string quartet. Right. And then I soloed with Waterloo Cedar Falls Symphony uh, at age 14 on Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. I won that competition. That's actually the reason I got to go to L.A. My parents said, if you win, you can choose anywhere <laughs> you want to go. Um, nice. <laughs> so... I continued classical music um, at Colburn, and I think I got like second place in a concerto competition, and then I got first, and um, then I did Interlochen. We did Carnegie Hall. I was 16. That was a small chamber group. Um, so I continued through my teen years to do a lot of classical music, and I still did in college in my 20s at CalArts. I did a lot of classical and new music because I was a violin major on full scholarship, so I had to be concert master of Baroque Ensemble and the New Music Ensemble, which is all wow. 20, 21st century music. And then the Standard Orchestra, which did like Mozart. Um, so classical music is still very present in my life. Of course, all the movie scores I do and the commercials that require sight reading and video games are, right. to me, I kind of consider them classical if I'm reading high-level stuff, even though it's not from the 1700s. It's just, there's, you know, heavy string stuff. You can call it new music or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, right. Why did I choose not to make classical music my full-time career? I Again, by age nine, I was playing the concertos, Probably the earlier ones like Mozart and 
Vitaly Chacon, and I'm trying to think of, you know, the class, <laughs> Lalo, oh, I remember a competition with Lalo. <laughs> Symphony Espanol. Yeah, Symphony Espanol. The, the seriousness and the heaviness, I love a serious emotionality. It's just that the culture to me, again, yeah. wasn't inclusive. And I, yeah. I love other styles of music, too. I loved pop songs since I was four. I loved Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera since I was four and five. And I'm so... Didn't... Yeah, what were you say? Didn't anybody tell you that that pop music isn't as good as classical <laughs> oh, yeah. music? Yes. <laughs> Everyone in my family, especially my dad, who's a conductor, and my mom, pianist, said that is just lowbrow music. And yep. thankfully, my mom still took me to a Britney concert. When I was seven, probably as a reward for some <laughs> for practicing yeah. your classical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I noticed at age nine when I started doing some jazz, and then age twelve I got my first electric violin, the Yamaha, because I was playing with some jazz ensembles in little clubs around Iowa, and the violin needed to be heard, needed to be amplified. Um. I liked these other styles. They were interesting. And I got to sing. And I always loved nice, singing yeah. the most. And I loved acting second. And then I loved dance. And then I liked the violin. But the violin was very stressful because of all the judgment. Yep. But yep. getting really good at the violin and practicing eight hours a day sometimes. Like when I was 12, I went to Meadow Mount. I actually did have to practice five to eight hours a day. And yep. I went to Meadow Mount. Oh, you did? <laughs> yep. It's so intense. And in different music festivals, that does give you a great skill set to be able to achieve almost anything. The focus, the excellence. Yep. Um, the discipline. Yeah, the discipline. So I can apply that now. Obviously, I'm getting ready for a string of shows in New York. I got called yesterday, and I have to learn 25 songs by Monday. And I have to oh, learn geez. all the strings pretty much write my own parts memorize it and then learn the background vocals just in case and wow. it's who's that with that's with a band Who's called it? ajr and we're going to be playing irving plaza on november 12th oh wow good for you awesome yeah, thank you so that's all that preparation comes from classical so i'm not dissing classical music i think i do think classical yeah. music is one of the highest forms of expression and lends itself to transcendence to the listener on the on one of the biggest scales. I just also think we can apply those values and those pursuits to other styles cuz I've had transcendent experiences with many styles of music. And to me, yeah. The the point of art and a good life in pursuit of creating art is to transcend and to connect the soul. So, as long as I'm pursuing that, I feel like I have a life well lived. Yep. Well said. Thanks. Well said. You spoke for me and I think a lot of other people who really feel that, you know, as as amazing as classical music is, uh, there are other, you know, there is amazing music in almost every genre from jazz to rock, transcendent, amazing, heavy, profound or uplifting, joyful music in all of those uh, genres. Um, and as a string player, I think there is, I, I think you put your finger on it. It's, we have made string playing so stressful and in a way non-creative. I hate to say that as a generalization, um, because obviously it takes an enormous amount of creativity to be a concert violinist or, you know, or a conductor or, you know. But it's a different kind of creativity than the composer or the improviser. It's a, it's, a, it's a narrower window of creativity and a whole lot more of what I consider the Olympics of don't make mistakes, play things. Uh, the tolerance for error is so small. There are so many incredible players. Uh, you play one or two notes out of tune, you know, you're sort of like, well, you know, you're out of out of the running for that competition or whatever. Uh, and and that kind of level of flawlessness uh, is 
can be really uncreative for a lot of people and it can just stamp the creativity right out of you. And I don't know if it was completely doing that, but I definitely felt like I was having more fun when I was doing other stuff other styles of music that were more inclusive to that kind of creativity, to the idea of going for something and maybe not quite getting it, but doing something else with it and turning that around and landing on your feet. And those kinds of skills of agility and improvisation, um, you know, that don't really come up in classical music. Yes. I connect so much with the improvisation aspect of what you just said and the way that you play. And I've been so heavily influenced by you since I was 15. Oh, I have you like on this list and watched all your YouTube videos and said, I have to study with Tracy Silverman someday. Oh, you are so and sweet. I'm serious. And I'm so grateful that I get to talk to you now. And I hope, I hope I get to work with you more and the improvisation aspect. Okay. To me, I feel wonder. I feel surprise. Mm. Mm. I feel a newness or a childlike feeling of discovery. And when I realized that, I thought I have to make this a major part of my art making. Yeah. And one thing I realized a couple weeks ago, playing first playing with a symphony as a guest solo artist on electric violin and then playing in the symphony later for a couple concerts, I feel like right now is my time to comment on culture through my playing and my singing. Yeah. And I'm not saying yep. I'm Bach or Beethoven, absolutely not. I'm not saying I'm Prince or even Questlove. Those are some of the greatest artists of all history. But I am Jenny Luke and I have a cool perspective I wanna share right now. And it yep. shows itself, like in my new single, When the Lights Go Out, with the violin ad lib lines in between my vocals and riffing on violin around the guitar riffs like that to mm -hmm. me that recording session for those violin lines was filled with wonder and discovery and emotional experiences that I couldn't even access another way and I never actually I have never accessed them as uniquely in that way as recording that song. You know, every song, every recording session, you have new feelings. So, especially to young string players, I'd also say, try writing some songs or compositions and try recording them because you'll experience way different feelings than you do in orchestra or yes. playing yep. your classical repertoire. Yep. So, yeah, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, just that wonder. And I think you experience wonder all the time because I watch in your videos <laughs> I, I hear it created and I, I watch, you know, your oh, facial expressions. That's very sweet. Because, you know, this whole topic is why not stay in classical? Why do this? Why do we go to all this trouble, uh, you know, <laughs> developing ourselves as artists? Yes. I have another, another thought here that really struck yeah. me during the meatloaf time. When I realized that lead guitar players get to be uniquely themselves. They're uh, hired or they're put on that stage because yeah. they as a person are desired by the audience. They have some energy or some realization or some answers that people need to know. And now, I, and there's so many other performers, of course, that have that, but to me, lead guitar really hit me, especially in rock. like. You just want to be either the lead singer or the lead guitar player. And this isn't <laughs> like a childish thing. I think to me, I wanted to be acknowledged for my identity. And I felt like on acoustic violin, I wasn't being acknowledged that much. I wasn't feeling understood that much. And when I am singing my own music or a lead electric violinist or even a lead acoustic violinist, but I'm there because I'm Jenny Luke and I, right. I'm the right fit. I can't do it wrong because it was destined for me. That is the yeah. best feeling. And I, I really <laughs> want to encourage yep. young people. That is totally in the cards for you if you want to do that in your career. 
You are enough. Yeah. That's the whole point of this whole thing. You are enough. You are powerful. And if you can just come to terms with that, then you can express yourself any way you want. But that's what I want to make people feel. You know, capable, powerful, understood. Yeah. Because I think that's the best way we achieve greatness and we make change in the world is when we feel empowered. Yes. Woo! Very nice. Very nice. Well, I did want to, to circle back and get a little bit of the brass tacks. Just a little bit curious about the Thornton program. Um, yeah. To bring things down to a, a little more... Uh, Academic level. Yeah. Just tell me briefly a little bit about how that works. Great. So circling back to improvisation, in the Thornton Pop Strings class, we have a focus on improvisation on strings. And that includes rhythmic improv and comping patterns, learning them and then uh, creating them, appropriate per style. And then solo development, how to craft a great solo, um, what are the parts of a solo, the beginning, the middle, the end, who should we study to learn how to make solos as string players? It's much harder to start with synth and saxophone in my opinion it's easier to start with keys and guitar to imitate mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. stylistic versatility at thornton i think they do such a wonderful job of introducing the history of popular music and then going by genre and helping the students familiarize themselves with the major repertoire in each genre so we do that in pop strings uh, in pop, a lot of Michael Jackson and then Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, we do current stuff like Dua Lipa. Then we have Stevie Wonder, something like um, Pastime Paradise. We have this great version, Patrice Russian, my boss, wrote, which is a Stevie Wonder classic. And then we show Gangster's Paradise, which is Coolio. Um, and the similarities and the the revamp and what they took from the original pastime paradise. And how do we interpret the music then? How do we play it rhythmically in the pocket? Where do we place the beat? Who is most important at what points of the piece? How do you interpret a string arrangement for only strings versus playing with an artist on tour? Yeah. How do yeah. you... And here are some of the things I apply to the class really heavily. How do you take sheet music that was written in logic and printed out, which is not going to be 100% accurate to what the music director wants you to play, but they've hired you to be versatile, study the record, and play it stylistically correct. So that means mm. making your own adjustments, your own edits. Wow, how useful is that? I wow. hope so. I mean, it's all my experience of, like... Different artists, Avril Lavigne, Ava Max, I get some sheet music and I know the record and I just need to make adjustments to represent the record fully. Maybe there's like, you know, a couple 16th notes that aren't written the way it is on the record, but it was just notated very quickly or it was notated in logic quickly. They expect good string players to know the records and make those adjustments and know the stylistic influence. Like Dua Lipa has a lot of disco influence. So we need to go back and study disco. Like, le freak, says she, freak out. We do that. We do all these right. excerpts. So that students can then apply stylistic understanding to modern jobs and modern recording sessions that they're going to go get hired for. We also study uh, rapid transcription like tra transcribing lines really fast and then really extensive ear training, which is, I don't believe taught so much in the classical world of on-site ear training, but I don't know about you, but I use that in almost every recording session where a producer is singing a line to me. Like that's how I'm getting yeah. ready for this little upcoming tour. The artist is sending me voice memos of him humming violin lines that he would like. Right. It's up to me to interpret it, understand the style, understand the artist, right. and play it accurately. Yeah. There's no sheet music. There's no dynamic markings. There's definitely no bowings. 
It's yep. up to me to do the research and create it. I think that's shocking for a lot of classical students, but I think the more you get comfortable with it, take ownership and trust yourself, you start making decisions about the music. And I think that's where in my classical training, I was not encouraged to make decisions. I was told what fingerings and bowings and dynamics to play yeah. all right. the way up through the big concertos. I was like 16 and 17, a very high level player, still being told what dynamics. It, I would have to just write, copy my teacher's interpretation in. I think that's great for study. I think students absolutely should learn great taste and stylistic uh, mm -hmm. interpretation. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, and this is where I really encourage my Thornton students, okay, you're 18 now. It's time for you to make the decision. And sometimes they go, oh, I can't, I can't, I'm scared. I don't know. But that's how you develop strength and self-confidence as a player. So right. if anyone, you know, I love talking about this stuff. So anyone who is listening to this, always feel free to reach out or DM me because if there's a piece of music specifically or you're writing your first song and you're not sure, people like Tracy, people like myself want to help you develop your artistry and make decisions because you could change history with your musical decision making. They are the future of strings. Yeah. Our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, incredibly useful uh, skill set that you're that you're giving string players and the the string players that you're coming into contact with are these mostly classical players? Yes, most of the students that take pop strings are classical majors or occasionally non majors that play another mm -hmm. instrument. So they might not have as much technical facility, but they might be more interested or more committed. Oftentimes, the non majors are even more committed mm. to learning other styles. And oftentimes they want to work in the music industry. I think some classical students want to dabble and then some do want to be proficient in many styles by the end of the semester or the end of the year. But it, it yeah. depends on the goals of the student. And I go to each student and I encourage their own unique artistry. And I think that has helped a lot of them take themselves more seriously because they realize they have a voice. Absolutely. And once you know you, Absolutely. yeah, once you know you have a voice, then the way that you make dynamic and fingering and bowing decisions in a Bach partita matters even more. You yeah. know, the major repertoire then can be looked at in a different way. Um, I wanted to add, we have played your Tracy Silverman arrangements and you have been so kind to grace us with a strum bowing Zoom masterclass before and using your techniques. And I would love to just hear what you envision for the future using strum bowing and rhythmic, um, rhythmic encouragement, I'd call it. Well, that's very sweet of you to ask. Um, I appreciate that. You know, what my kind of whole goal with all of this, just to you know, try to answer that quickly <laughs> is, is to give string players the option of not always being the melodic player, not always being the vocal, the melody, uh, you know, or the lead, even the solo. But how do we function as part of the rhythm section as a rhythm guitar player, rhythm string player. Um, I'm hoping, my, my vision of the future uh, is where most violin players are playing six string instruments. Mm. Um, the violinist in the future, I hope, will be uh, more like a guitar player. Uh, and that's why six, because that extra octave basically is so important to be able to play bass notes, to be able to accompany your melodies with bass notes the way guitar players can, playing chord melody type solo instrumentals. This is possible on strings, uh, or just being that rhythm player in the background. Super possible on strings. We have ways of doing that that guitar players can't even compete with. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, my vision of the future of strings and why I'm so proud of people like you who are. Uh, bringing that to so many young string players, um, but I do, going back to your your um, work at Thornton, 
what I've discovered in working with a lot of classical string players is they may want to play jazz, they may want to play pop music, but they're just really not familiar with it. Mm. Uh, so if you say, well, you know, that like, you know, in a Dua Lipa song, it's more like, you know, disco strings. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Um, you know, and you're just like, like chic, like, you know, freak out. And they're like, I've never heard that, uh, you know. So many classical players are, are really in a tunnel world of class because it takes takes that yeah. to achieve what you need to achieve to get into a conservatory. Uh, and so they really don't have a background in other styles. How do you combat that? How do you deal with mm -hmm. that? You just tell them to go home and listen to stuff? I do have a long, extensive listening list. And if anyone wants the list, you're welcome to join a Facebook group I started called Pop Strings. And you can cool. find it under my groups. And it really is a welcoming community and dialogue um, cool. for any of the students. I'm going to start sending people over there. Sure, yeah. It's any students in the class, any guest artists, like music directors who have spoken to us. I'll send it to you, too, because you're a guest artist. That way the community can stay in touch. Um, but the listening list, yeah, it covers pop, rock, country, blues, um, movie soundtracks, metal strings, uh, and then more specific categories of like bossa, bluegrass, um, different Spanish Cuban music, and mostly standards that I feel every stylistically versatile string player should just know. Um, it's a really beginner but long list, and hopefully it sparks most of the students' interest to find what resonates with them. But also it's kind of like a standard list of what you would get hired to play as a string player on right. every, everything from corporate to um, your local blues bar to weddings. Because there's way more of a need for pop string players. We have this like whole Bridgerton, you know, style. Now that's a style to a lot of like clients. And yeah. um People who book strings, they don't know strings. So what do they call it? They call it Bridgerton because it's vitamin string quartet <laughs> arrangements on acoustic strings of pop songs. Um, but the way I approach it with classical students is, especially if they're having a hard time seeing the merit of studying simpler, quote unquote, simpler styles, I yep. expose them to jazz and bebop and then blues. And we look at why B.B. King, The Thrill is Gone. The thrill is gone. It's four notes. Why is that moving? Is it actually that simple? Or did we just simplify the emotion in the phrase? So we start looking at all these different pieces. Jazz and bebop are very helpful because there's oftentimes a lot of notes. But then we'll look at like a Miles Davis tune. Not so many notes. Mm -hmm. But that music's merit is still not lesser than yeah. a, a chart or a <laughs> you standard. You don't buy music by the note. Right. That's what it comes and, down to. Yeah. And honestly, that's a big, that, that's usually the first three weeks of the semester is um, understanding why Billie Jean is important. You yeah. know, because some students have never heard it before. Um, some students have heard it, but they don't know why they would need to learn it or how to play it in time. Yeah. So we right. go we go over basics, and it's really good because usually by about week three, most students start understanding that we have different concepts here. We have groove, and we have um, repetition yeah. that needs to be executed consistently, like dun, dun, dun. Duh. That needs to be in time, the whole song, for four minutes. Yeah. And if you can't play it in time, <laughs> same with Eleanor Rigby. Dun -gun 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 -gun. You have to be not undeniable with your rhythm. The students yeah. do start understanding that. Um, it usually just takes a little bit of adjustment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That concept uh, for classical players that that's keeping a groove steady is not mechanical and boring. It's powerful and eternal. <laughs> well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking your time. As I know how crazy busy you are, 
And uh, thanks for being such a role model for so many young players. So important. I think what you're doing is is just uh, really significant in the string world. So Thank thanks you. for that. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for all your encouragement and for having me on today and everything you do. Yeah. I can't wait to see where your music goes and... I hope someday we get to perform together. I know it. I know it. And next time you're in Nashville, you got to give me a holler. I will, for sure. <laughs> All right. All right, Jenny. Thanks so much. So great hanging with you. You too. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for listening. If you dug what we're talking about and you want to dig in deeper, please check out the For the Greater Groove Facebook group where I post about each of my guests and where you can leave your comments and opinions. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you're digging the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave me a rating or a review. Thanks a lot and groove on. Mm -hmm.